Hello and welcome to another episode of the Find You Fitness Podcast. This podcast is all about helping you find you within the health and fitness space. With there being so much information out there, good and bad, especially nowadays, it can be overwhelming. Hell, I still get overwhelmed and I've been in this space for almost 10 years now. It's crazy, but when I started, I crawled and I slashed my way through a bunch of BS out there to find answers on how to better myself with my diet and with my workouts. I tried a lot of things. I tried things that didn't work at all, things that worked occasionally, and things that got me injured. But all of those experiences, good and bad, is what has put me in front of this microphone today because I want to show you how to pursue your goals without having to go through everything that I went through. And if today's podcast or just the podcast in general resonates with you in any way, or just you trust me enough to give some advice to a family member or a friend, send them my way via the podcast. It means a lot to me. I had someone just the other day say they recommended it to a friend and it might not seem like a big deal to you as a listener, but to me, uh, as I'm putting out this content every single week and that means a lot to me. So thank you all for that and just continue, continue to do that. So today's episode, and I talk about getting overwhelmed in the intro, (laughs) I'm definitely at that point, uh, currently just learning more and more about the body. And the more and more I learned about the body, the more I realized that I don't know. And at the same time, I realized that I do understand a good amount of information. And we're going to talk about a lot of things today and very potentially could just go right over your head. So I definitely highly recommend taking it in pieces. Um, I want my goal is for anyone to be able to understand today's podcast and a very popular concept just in just in general is they say if you understand a topic so well, then you should be able to explain it to a five year old. And that's kind of what I'm going to try to do today. Maybe at some points in time, it's going to get maybe a little bit more complicated, but uh, that's going to be the goal. So hopefully I can do that. And we're going to talk about improving your range of motion. So I hope you guys enjoy. Improving your range of motion. This is the stuff. This is the stuff I geek out about so much and why I'm becoming a chiropractor. And today we're going to dive deep into it. Uh, We're going to do some surface level stuff, but to cover that, we're going to just make sure our bases are covered and then we're going to really get into it today and I can't wait. So I really geek out about range of motion stuff and biomechanics and kinesiology because I want to be so confident that I can help better anybody's movement or mobility. And I became so interested in this topic particularly for two reasons. Number one, it's because of my mobility. I've struggled with it for years and I still struggle with it to this day. And when I became aware that it was a struggle of mine, I began to work on it. And over the years, it's gotten a lot better. But there are still positions I struggled a I still struggle a lot with. And it's a constant learning experience to improve on those. And the second reason why, and really the biggest reason, started when I started personal training. I was abnormally terrified about injuring my clients. And mainly because they were older. And also because I knew if I hurt them, well, not only would I get a bad reputation, but that would set them back even further in their health and fitness journey. And I cared way more about that. So when I got my first few clients, I wanted to do anything it took to not be that guy that injured them. And usually they had some sort of pre-existing injury or condition that I needed to be aware about. A new shoulder, a new knee, 
uh, a new hip. <laughs> I mean, I should know all of these things and how to create a training regimen that will help them improve on that area and also obviously not put them in a at a higher risk for injury. Typical injuries that I would see and that we see just in general are shoulders and knees. And that's because of the shoulder being like a ball and socket joint. It sacrifices a lot of stability because of its huge range of motion that it can have. And usually the less mobile a joint is supposed to be, the more stable it will be. So think of something like your elbow. It's a hinge joint, so it just hinges back and forth. It only flexes and extends. So flexion would be if you have your hand out and then you try to take your fingers and touch your shoulder or you're doing a bicep curl. That would be flexion. The opposite is extension. You would just extend your elbow, extend your arm. Now, elbows, they're not commonly injured and they remain very stable. Well, that's because the motions that they make are fairly simple and straightforward, opposed to something like the shoulder or the hip that's a ball and a socket joint. You see knee injuries often and not because of the joint or the ligaments of the knee itself. I mean, yeah, okay, that's usually what's injured, but more or less because of this, this disproportionate stress that can be placed on the knee from imbalances in the hip or in the foot or in the quad or the hamstring or the calves. So I would think about how I were going to train these clients and how I had to come to this conclusion that it absolutely had to come down to addressing these weaknesses and their poor range of motion. And that if I improve these areas, it would significantly improve their lives. On a very, very basic level, and I'll explain this in more detail in a bit, but I realized that if I gave them more range of motion in these areas that they needed it in, they would get stronger. Like, think about it like this. If you can't lift your arm but to eye level, all right, and I improve it to where I improve that range of motion to where you can bring it all the way above your head. You may not be like strong there, like Grr, you're lifting heavy weights, but you are stronger than you were because before you didn't even have the strength or range of motion to lift your arm any higher than eye level. Hopefully that makes sense. And obviously another big fear of mine was if when I was training them, what would happen if these exercises or movements brought on pain? Now, pain isn't necessarily a good thing. So I didn't want to screw them up even more. And when I came to the realization that I just didn't know what to do when these scenarios popped up, I got to researching to find answers. And several years later, I'm still going because this shit can be extremely complicated. And what I've learned over the years from my experience, research and learning from others is that it is possible to fix 95% of issues. You just have to know the anatomy, what muscles are moving, the functions of different joints and of those muscles that connect to those joints and how to bring it all together to unify and create movement. And I have to give a huge shout out to FRC and Ken Stretch, which is what really put all these pieces together for me. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week. 
But if you haven't heard of it and today's topic is interesting to you, look it up after you're done listening today. So when I started to see this bigger picture, I started to apply it, obviously. And the trick here is to get clients to buy into it because I know what I'm doing is going to help us, but it's not going to be a one and done process. So I had to get good at explaining it because to be honest, a lot of the work is pretty boring. But when you understand why it's so important, it makes it a lot more bearable and inspiring to do, especially if we're trying to get you out of pain. So look at it like this, and let's start out with the elbow. That elbow's main job is to flex and extend. So fully lock out your elbow, and now bend it to where your fingers touch your shoulder. If you can fully lock out your elbow by extending it and touch your shoulder by flexing it, which I'd be surprised if you can't do it, then that's demonstrating full range of motion of the elbow. So we're gonna focus on that extension, all right? So when you lock out that elbow, for a minute. When you fully lock it out without any help or assistance, you do it all on your own. That's called your active range of motion. Active range of motion means it's what you can do. Now, the opposite of active range of motion would be passive range of motion. Passive range of motion is all about how far I can extend your elbow without you helping me. And when I test your passive range of motion, I can just about guarantee for the elbow, it's going to match your active range of motion. Just because not many people have elbow issues. Passive range of motion is all about testing how far you can move a joint before you hit a wall. And when you lock out your elbow, think about it like you're hitting, you're hitting bone to bone. That's your wall where the forearm bone hits the arm bone. Think about it like that, aka or where the ona hits the humerus. Our goal for passive range of motion is to find that wall. How far can your elbow extend before it hits that wall? When we find that point, we then compare it to the active range of motion. Now, active range of motion, remember, is again, how far you can extend that arm. And the goal for that is for you to hit that wall as well, all on your own. That would demonstrate full range of motion for the area. So that should be, hopefully you can understand that. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It just gets more complicated when we start talking about other joints. So let's say we test your passive range of motion and you can fully extend. I do it, you fully extend all the way. But when we test your active range of motion, you can't, all right? And we're still talking about the elbow. So we need you to be able to extend your elbow to, I think it's 180 degrees. I might be like 165 minimum, something like that. All right. And let's just say it can only get to 140 degrees. All right. So that means you can't lock out your arm completely. We need that extra 40 degrees of motion because that's what the joint is supposed to be able to do. And you proved to me that you can get there because when we tested the passive range of motion, you got there. So it's not like we hit a wall at 140 degrees when we tested your passive range of motion. If we would have hit a wall there, then that would be your end range of motion. And most likely you have had, if you have had elbow issues already, if this is you, since that is fairly uncommon in the general population. For example, we have a member at our gym who has these osteophytic, uh, 
osteophytes in his elbow, creating or not allowing him to fully extend his elbow. Um, so his full range of motion is probably about 140 degrees. He can't fully lock out his arm or his elbow. So that would be his in range of motion. That's what we would hopefully, that's what we are trying to achieve if making sure that he can at least get there. So let's talk about that 40 degree difference and why that's such a big deal. One, it's you're not allowing that joint to express its full range of motion. That difference between the passive and active range of motion, that 40 degrees, means you are weak from 140 to 180. Because if you had the strength to go there, you would be able to. And strength, when I say strength, it's not just like grr, muscle, your strong strength. It's also stability and control. So if we improve that active range of motion by specific exercises, which is my job, you will gain strength there and thus stay away from injury at the same time. So for example, let's just veer off track for a second here. If you can't fully extend, you get that 140 degrees, part of the muscles that allow you to fully extend is going to be your bicep. All right. So imagine if your bicep is just super tight and you can do this yourself and, and fair warning, it might hurt a little bit, but flex your arm. So your arm is 90 degrees, grab onto your bicep and try to fully extend your arm. Now you're going to be able to do it, but you're going to feel like, oh my God, I'm like, you're basically stripping out your bicep as you do it. So if it's super tight, it's not going to allow you to express your full range of motion. So let's just say now this is very basic and it's never only just the bicep for this to be happening. But if that were you and you could only achieve 140 degrees of range of motion of the elbow, I could strip out that bicep and allow it to express its fullest range of motion to allow you to get to that full 180 degrees. So imagine what would happen if something forced your elbow to extend all the way. Let's say you could only achieve 140 and then like you were grabbing something heavy and it was too heavy and like you're picking it up, up, up off the ground and it caused you to fully extend your elbow past your active range of motion. That heavy object would be forcing you into a position that you cannot handle. You do not have the strength there and would likely cause an injury. Because something would be trying to hold that object up and that something, whatever it is, would become overwhelmed and cause a very serious issue. Another good example, think about if you are falling on your arm and you fall on, a, on an outstretched arm and you fall and for whatever reason, when you fall, it forces you to fully extend that arm. We just forced you to go into so much more range of motion, range of motion that you have the capability of getting in that extra 40 degrees, but we just loaded it with your entire body on that fall. There's a hot shot there that you're going to injure something as well. So take this concept and apply it to every single joint in the body. Now the elbow is the most simple. And if you know how that joint is supposed to function, then you can apply this concept. Now, the elbow is typically the first example I give because it's pretty easy to understand the functions of it. Now, the shoulder is a different story, and this is why it's one of the most common locations for injuries. Like I mentioned earlier, it's a ball and socket joint. 
Ball and socket joints have the capability of moving in practically every direction possible. But with that ability comes potential consequences. In the shoulder, we sacrifice stability for mobility. And without stability or control, we are on a one-way tricket to tricket train to Injuryville. <laughs> so let's talk about motions of the shoulder. We have flexion, which is putting your arm straight over your head, extension, which is extending your arm straight back, abduction, which is taking it out to the side, a deduction, which is taking it out to the side and then across your body. External rotation, which is when you take your arm up to 90 degrees at shoulder height and then rotate your shoulder and wrist back. Like in those movies when someone's running up from behind and then they just like swing their fist back and, <laughs> and knock them out. And then internal rotation, which is just the opposite of that, where you point that wrist down all while initiating the movement from the shoulder itself. Now, I told you guys this was more complicated. You also have four movements of the scapula. Elevation, which is shrugging your shoulders. Depression, which is the opposite of that. Protraction, which is rolling your shoulders forward. And then retraction, which is the opposite of that, where you pull your shoulder blades back. And when you test these areas, you test them one limb at a time. But also, you know, bilaterally. So you go one side and then the other. Sometimes it's just the way that you're built. If you notice one thing on one side, you want to test it to see how the other side is as well. Uh, sometimes you're just built different. Uh, well, it may sound more complicated, but the concept stays the same as the elbow. And that's why I say if you look at every joint in the body like this, it all starts to really come together. And once you pick up on that, it's figuring out what's preventing us from getting there. Is it a bony block? Is it a neurological issue? Or is it a soft tissue issue? Tissue issue. Now, we want the shoulder to be able to move in its full range of motion. You should be able to flex and abduct the shoulder to 180 degrees. Now, obviously, for the anatomy nerds out there, the glenohumeral is going to do about half of that 180 degrees for that shoulder abduction. Extension should be like around 50-ish degrees when you extend back. Adduction when you extend across your body should be like 30 to 50, uh, depending on what source you're looking at. And then internal and external range of motion should be about 90 degrees. Now, I give degrees instead of talking about hitting a wall like in the elbow solely because of the amount of tissue or soft tissue that you'll feel restricting your movement instead. And now, now that you know these end range numbers, you can test to see how close you are to these degrees. So let's look at shoulder flexion, shoulder internal and external rotation, mainly because of how much more common issues are there than anywhere else. 180 degrees of shoulder flexion should get your bicep right even with your ear. And this is a common, common, common fault in a lot of the elderly population especially a lot of my clients and even our athletes now. And if you don't believe me, test your mom or your grandma's or maybe even yours, your range of motion and see what their active range of motion is. So if we assess your shoulder flexion and you can only get your arm to 180 or sorry, 140 degrees, let's say it again, that's going to be a problem. If not now, eventually, 
So something, think about this. When you flex your arm, you can only get to 140. So you can't get that bicep by your ear. Something is holding you back from achieving that full range of motion. And it is a big deal. Is it a past or current injury? Is it tight musculature? Probably, but that's going to vary with the individual. But this is where knowing your anatomy becomes so important because there are a ton of muscles that play a role in how well you can bring your arm over your head. So it could be your lats, like your big old back muscles, which when they're tight, they're going to pull you back from that flexion because the lat primarily extends the shoulder. So when you extend your arm back, that's the lat doing its job. If it's really tight, when you try to go into flexion, where you get that bicep by the ear, it's going to want to pull you back down into extension. But at the same time, your pec minor, which is you have your pec major, which is your pecs, and then underneath it, you have the pec minor. That muscle is notoriously tight on a lot of individuals because when it's tight, it's going to force you to protract or roll your shoulder blades forward which is going to be continuously shortening that muscle, which is not advantageous, advantageous for shoulder flexion. And it can even force you to potentially have to shrug your shoulders, use your levator scap and traps, other muscles in the back, to get that arm in the perfect position. Now, there's just a ton of possibilities here. But the point is, we know what we want the shoulder to do or where to get at, aka it's in range. And we know that your active range of motion is limited. We just have to figure out where exactly the restriction is to fix it. So a good way to really exaggerate this, uh, because you know you guys hear thing, things in nowadays about text neck and upper cross syndrome, and we're always doing things in front of us or our shoulders are super rolled forward. Well, try this out. Roll your shoulders forward a lot, like, like a lot, a lot, and then take one arm and try to flex it up and get your get it by your bicep or get your bicep by your ear. You're not going to be able to do it. Now, pull your shoulder blades back, do the same thing. You're going to be able to get there most likely, or it will be better no matter what. So when we roll those shoulder blades forward, we're shortening that pec minor, which attaches to the core cord process on your, it attaches to your shoulder. And it's going to be chronically tight and pull your shoulders in, not allowing you to achieve that flexion. So really, just really quickly, and we're going to talk more and more about this, something that we could potentially do if that was the problem, we identified that, we would roll it out. We would massage it. We would give you some MRT to try to loosen that muscle, loosen it up, and then strengthen the ones in the back that are weak and letting, letting that pec minor do all the work, and then activate it by getting you to do some shoulder flexion exercises to see if we can improve that range of motion. Shoo, that's a lot. <laughs> Now, look at the hip, okay? So if we know the type of joint, it's appropriate range of motion, or, or it's appropriate amount of range of motion in every direction, which since it's a ball and socket joint, it's gonna have the same motions as the shoulder. We compare that bilaterally, and if they're experiencing pain somewhere, it's guaranteed that there will be a decreased range of motion on that side somewhere. You can do it with the ankle. The ankle can plantar flex, dorsiflex, evert, invert. You can do it with your wrist, flexion, extension, ulnar deviation, radial deviation. It literally applies to any joint in the body. Again, if you start to look at every joint in the body like this, 
this stuff will just start to click even more and more. It doesn't matter if you're a chiropractor, a PT, a personal trainer, or you're just an avid fitness fanatic. It's not impossible to learn. It's just not as straightforward as you may want it to be. Now, there are several tools, and this is all dependent on what your problem is, of course, and what your goals are in life to fix these problems. And next week, we're going to go over a specific case, which is my case of my shoulder and how important this all is to relate it to your goals and continue this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know that was a lot to take in and I know that it's not as simple as I potentially made it out to be, but that was kind of my point. Um, I want you to want to dive into this and then realize that, man, man, this is a lot of stuff. This is a lot of information, but at the same time, I want to end it with like, Hey, you can learn this stuff too. I learned this stuff without a degree. Uh, well, I had an exercise science degree. Truly. I don't think that helped me learn any of this stuff, but that's a rant for another time. Uh, but my goal was I wanted to help people move better and move out of pain and, and get out of pain. And I'm definitely learning uh, still to this day of different ways to accomplish these same uh, goals that I want to accomplish as far as helping people get out of pain. Uh, but it's not impossible to learn. And so next week, we're going to go into some more, more examples like the elbow that I gave. Uh, just something, some things that maybe can you can relate to a little bit more. And then as well as my case uh, for my shoulder to see if maybe that helps click as well. And we're going to get you guys uh, at least to a little bit of a better understanding of how the body operates and how beautifully beautiful the body is. And yet it's a pain in the at the same time. So I will see you guys next week.